You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, Assault Studios production. Antoinette Halloran is one of Australia's most accomplished and in-demand sopranos. She's performed with major Australian and international opera companies and symphony orchestras, featuring in performances like Madame Butterfly, Sweeney Todd, Lady Macbeth and Summer of the 17th Doll. And that's just to name a few, and she's a regular on TV and radio. While being a decent student, it wasn't until collecting a double bass that Antoinette discovered her passion for opera singing. In this podcast episode, I start by asking Antoinette if she was always destined to be an entertainer and how her love of performance impacted her education. Antoinette, thank you very much for sitting down and having a chat with me. It is a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Considering your career, you're on the stage, uh, you're a bit of a celebrity too, you've achieved a lot. Would you say that back in your school days, school was just a giant stage for you? Kind of. It sort of happened in about year nine. So I was at a, a Catholic girls' school uh, that didn't really have music as part of their curriculum. And so then I got uh, an entry into McRobertson Girls High, not because I was, that's an academically selective intake school, but I didn't get in because I was academically great. I got in because my sister was there and she was a really great musician. And so I got in on the strength of her talent. And they said, we'll have this girl uh, if she promises to learn the double bass for the school orchestra. So I got into this school, which is really a coup because it's a fabulous school. And I was on my way to pick up the double bass, which I wasn't that excited about because it's pretty big. It is, yes. <laughs> it's pretty big to get home on the train. So I was on my way to pick up the double bass, literally walking to where they told me the double bass was, and I heard this singing coming through this door. And it was the first time I'd heard live opera singing. And it just blew my mind. All the hairs on my arms were standing up and I was just drawn to this door and I knocked on the door and this, you know, huge opera singer with a bun and a caftan answered the door, like the cliche opera singer. She was said, I'm having auditions, do you want to come and try out? And I did and she gave me a sort of a solo spot in her studio immediately and I never had to learn the double bass, which was a total bonus. Yeah, so that's how it all began. Yeah, right, okay. So there was never a point when perhaps maybe you were wandering around the house at home singing or anything like that? You never really tried to sing? No, I always sang as a child and there was actually a man down the end of the street that used to put on concerts for the neighbourhood, so I became sort of the prima donna of the local street concerts. But that wasn't classical singing, that was music theatre and jazz and uh, sort of pop stuff. So I never tried to actually make a classical sound until this day. If your school was academic and probably still is, uh, were you academically minded as well on top of the creative side? Well, I was from an academic sort of family. My father was a university professor, so I was sort of, you know, had had the uh, uh, onus was on me to be academic. And when I got to the school, I loved the music and I threw myself into the musicals and everything so much that I did get a bit behind, but I also have this ridiculously competitive streak that you have to have to be a performer, I think. And I channeled that into my academic subjects as well because the school expected it of me. So I ended up, you know, finishing, I think singing was my fourth best subject. What else did you excel in then? Oh, so English, English literature, maths, so I ended up getting into law and I thought, well, I got in, I should do it. 
And I did two days of law until I got a late entry into the College of the Arts. So I was never like, music was never the thing I was really the best at, but that's sort of what made me want to keep doing it because I wanted to get better. Did you enjoy school? Yes, I did. I love school, yeah. And I feel really uh, happy that I had a great environment to be at school. Uh, it was a really great school and it was a lot of clever girls who just wanted to um, do really well. So it couldn't have been in a better environment for me. Have you kept in contact with any of those friendships you made back then? Yes, I'm still very close to the core group of friends that I was at school. In terms of uh, where you were going to go with your career, it sounds like you had options. You had the academic side, which you could pursue. You had the creative music side as well. Was there ever a competition between the two or was always pretty much going to be one way? Well, pretty much the fact that I threw down my uni books two days into the course when I got into the singing showed where my heart was. However, then I did the VCA, which is this great course, um, and graduated at 20. And, and because my instrument is a big, fruity instrument, like a good fruity wine, it takes a long while to mature. So I wasn't ready to perform opera at that age. So that was a real struggle for me because then all, all my friends that had pursued sort of safe academic careers were having proper jobs and I was pulling beers in pubs till I was 30. I got some work in musicals and some contemporary operas and stuff like that, but it wasn't until I was about 28, 30 that that Opera Australia actually started to look at me as a leading lady. So it's a lot of time to just go, oh, God, have I made the right decision or, you know, have I, or have I gone down a, a ridiculous path? And, you know, you have people saying, what are you doing with your life? And it's quite difficult to pursue that path at that age. We're going to talk about the VCA and your career later on in these episodes. But going back to uh, high school and, and university, uh, why did you decide to go and study something that wasn't music initially? Um, because I got in. <laughs> and I think because I, um, I had a sister that was a doctor and a sister that was a lawyer and, you know, I sort of thought, oh, maybe I should do something proper with, you know, my life. And also I really loved this TV show called Rumpole of the Bailey about this old barrister was back in the day and he was just this really naughty sort of barrister who used to sort of <laughs> nail all his court cases but I saw myself sort of being as this amazing barrister who could get out there and win court cases but then when I think back about it now it wasn't the justice that I was seeking it was the center stage holding court thing that I was seeking so there was something about the law that I thought could go my way but then I realized it was a, a very tiny part of the law and the rest of it I wasn't that interested in. Yeah. Was there any pressure from other people or yourself that basically forced you to go down that law line initially? Is that because you because you thought the creative wasn't necessarily going to be a full-time career? I think so. And I think when I initially, when I made that decision, I didn't, I had auditioned for the College of the Arts and I didn't get in and I'd auditioned for NIDA and I didn't get in. So I sort of at that very tender age of 17, 18, I thought, oh, well, I'm no good. I'll do this. Um, but then, of course, you realise that it's a long, long journey. Basically, you get to the end of high school and you're trying to find what your next move is. So one, you go to VCA, NIDA. The other side, you, you go law. Law is the one that works. So that's where you, what you go and do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. In those two days, what was the realisation for you that it wasn't the right move? Not really anything because I don't think I'd even gone to a lecture yet, <laughs> I think. It was just getting that call from the College of the Arts that just was what changed my mind. 
What is that process then? They, they said no initially and then how do they arrive at a place where they said yes? I think someone dropped out. <laughs> okay, well, we take our opportunities when exactly. they come along. So, you know, that's, there's, no, there's no shame in that. <laughs> no, I'm delighted they dropped out. And so what did you do for your interview? Uh, I think we just sang two contrasting pieces from our Year 12 recital or from music that we knew. So from memory, I just sang two art songs or something or an Italian, one of the Italian songs and arias and one, one art song. And so you were practising these with your teacher? Yes, yeah, so we had a great singing teacher at McGrob who was called Cavill Polly. She was this ex-opera singer and she'd given up her career to marry and have kids, which she sort of had to do in those days. We just had this incredibly gifted uh, artist teaching us and she prepared me for my VCE exam or back when I did it, it was HSC. So I just sang two of the songs that I'd prepared for that exam. And how much work goes into preparing yourself for a VCA audition? Well, because I was sort of prepped because I had them all prepared for my uh, end of school exams, but a lot of work. I mean, it's like a subject. So you have, you know, I had lots of spare periods because I wasn't doing a classroom. I was just doing singing. So in all those spare periods, I'd just be in a room honing my skills. And what's it like to go through the audition process to put your heart and soul into something only to receive a phone call which says, thanks, but no thanks? Uh, I still, it still happens to me all the time. Like just recently I was asked to audition for Cinderella that Opera Australia were doing and my agent said, well, they've asked for you. It's sort of a no-brainer. I think you're going to get it. So just go and do the audition. And I went, they're going, oh, well, I'll just do the audition and show them how good I am. And I sang one song and they were like, thanks. And I'm like, did I get it? And they're like, no. Yeah, okay, so absolutely it happens and I guess with more time in the game you get used to that but back in that 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 time time. um, it's probably a different mindset. Yeah, I think back then it hurt a lot more than it it does now because now I realise it's a matter of taste and it's being in the right place at the right time and do you fit the frock and all that sort of stuff. But back then all those things that I auditioned for and didn't get, uh, I took it pretty hard. It was really hard to get over. But if I can say anything in hindsight, it's right place, right time. So much of it is, often it's about talent, but so much is about the taste of the person who you're auditioning for. And they might like fluty high voices and you might come in with a low husky voice and then they just think, well, that's no good, I don't want that. So you have to always put it in perspective. It's one or two or three people's opinions. doesn't mean you've got no talent or you should give up. So you've turfed uni, you're now at VCA. What's your first day like going into that environment? Oh, so exciting. I just loved it. And because it was a really small course, you just got to know everyone like brothers and sisters, like really intimately in the course. And if I had my time again, I would have worked a little bit harder, but there was plenty of fun as well as hard work. And what were some of the things that you were studying while you were there? So when I was there, we studied all the languages, French, German and Italian. Uh, We had these amazing classes with Dame Joan Hammond, who was this incredible old diva who'd been, had a major career at Covent Garden, all those stellar opera houses. And she'd take us in these really fantastic sort of masterclasses on operatic technique and operatic uh, sort of rituals that you abide by on the stage and it was really really exciting and then we did other instruments and I did jazz and it was a really exploratory time to sort of work out who you were as an artist. And so when was the opportunity or the talent exposed to you for opera? Sort of with the opera singer at McRobertson Girls High so she sort of the minute I sang she said you have potential to be an opera singer all through uni, it was bubbling away. But as I said, because my instrument was 
different and bigger and a bit wilder than a lot of the other instruments. It really wasn't ready for the opera stage. And I constantly got told, you're very young, you're very young, wait, wait, wait. So uni was good because it was a bit of a waiting game. But then, as I said, I graduated too young and I kind of wasn't ready. And how did you deal with that rejection back then? I got a job in an office. I got a job in a doctor's office. Like I just sort of kept looking at other things that maybe I should have done. I thought about enrolling in journalism, like all these voices were in my head. But in the end, I just sort of, st- I got enough little p- bits and pieces of um, positive feedback to make me just stick at it. What was some of that feedback that you were getting that uh, kept you interested? Someone would hear me and think, oh my God, that's great. I'll give you this job. And I got a job in the Melbourne Festival doing uh, Brahms quartet and just little things like that. I might maybe one every six months, but just enough to feed me, to keep me in the industry. Um, I got some musicals, Got went to Japan, I did Phantom, just things like that, just little things like that. And they weren't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in musicals. I wanted to be an opera singer, but, but it, it sort of bided my time to get to the place that I wanted to be. Throughout the course of that period, would you say it was your resilience that got you through? Yeah, I mean, I often say to my students, there's an inner voice that you listen to. And it was like whenever I got a job that was, you know, in an office or something, my little, this, I'd have a little sad inner voice just saying, this isn't you. And then I'd get one little gig somewhere and I'd be like, ah, you know. And so it's sort of that, that voice that you have to really listen to. And they say there's this great comment that I heard once that if you have something to fall back on, you'll fall back. Like the industry is that hard that if I had done law, I wouldn't be here now. If I had something really solid to fall back on, you'd fall back because there's plenty of months where you're just going, oh, my God, you're up. where's the next job coming from? Is it going to be out there? So often what you'll find is those people that stick out can't do anything else <laughs> like me. I can teach. I can teach singing, but that's about it. <laughs> to that point, what would you say to some of our listeners who are, uh, are thinking about a, a career path similar to yours? Is it just a matter of, and this would probably fly in the face of what their parents are telling them, don't necessarily have that fallback plan and just give yourself 100% to your craft? Or uh, through hindsight, would you look at it slightly differently? I think if I had had something to fall back on, I would have fallen back. I do think that. And then as soon as you do go get taken away into something else, you're sort of out of the eye of the industry as well. I'm not saying don't have something to fall back on. No, not at all. Not now. I think things are really different now. But I'm also saying really listen to that voice within you. I'm not saying anyone can be an artist or anyone can choose this life. But if that voice is really strong, you will find a way, if you're that motivated, to make somehow the industry work for you or to find a place in the industry that works for you. If that voice is in there, because you don't want to sort of think I could have been, I should have been, what if? So you've really got to go for it if you have that inner voice. Looking back at your time at the VCA, if opera didn't work out, and quite clearly it has, what were some of the other pathways within that industry for you? Mm, from VCA, I mean, I could have gone in right down into the, the teaching side of things, which I, I am now one-on-one teaching, but I didn't go down into the deep ed side. So I could have come out and done a deep ed and become a really good music teacher, hopefully a good music teacher. Would have been an opening into other industries, like if you really wanted to be in the industry, it could have been an opening into orchestral management, artist management, corporate events, 
can open up a whole lot of worlds to you. In terms of skill sets or mindset required in order to go on and, and apply yourself in something like the VCA or a performance degree, what are some of the qualities a student needs? We had a big workshop the other day or the other year when we met in person at the VCA, the teachers about mental health, which is a really important thing for students now. I mean, the greatest thing would be to get that really sorted so you came without a lot of uh, emotional baggage if you possibly can. There were some students in the drama course that couldn't do certain scenes because they said they were triggering and things like that. I feel that that's only going to get in the way of your process. As much as you can come in a really healthy environment and space within you and, and put in, that would be the best thing, I think. I mean, everyone has feelings of inadequacy and things like that, but try and leave your baggage at the door and come as a really open book and be open to learning. Leave your ego at the door as well. Don't come with a big ego because if anything's going to get in your way, it's a big ego. So you sort of just have to come really prepared to question, argue, put yourself out there, practice, practice. That's a big one. Looking back on your education, what would you do differently? Nothing, actually. I mean, I sort of fluked it, I think. So what I ended up doing was, so I did the VCA and graduated very young and then did a lot of travelling and working in paths and doctor's offices and all that and sort of making sure it's singing is what I wanted to do. And then when I was pretty sure I was about 25, I went back to Melbourne Uni and I, I completed an honours year. And that was really solidifying because I went back as a more uh, mature voice. So my voice had had time to cook a bit more and I solidified my technique and just did a year of really intense study and also made a few more contacts in the industry while I was there and did a concerto with the orchestra. And How did you identify the honours degree was needed as a next step for you? I needed something to anchor me back into the world. I was feeling like I was drifting away, like a balloon that had been cut off and going into the air, you know. And I also just thought I I'm, I'm probably should get a higher qualification. In terms of that qualification, what was that going to set you up to be able to achieve? If the singing did, then didn't take off, then I could have probably then done a master's and a PhD and gone down a more academic path with, with my music, which is what I was thinking I probably would do if the singing didn't take off uh, in the next few years. <laughs> Antoinette's education story is one many students and early graduates will experience, getting a degree and then not being totally sure it's what you want to spend the rest of your life doing. But as Antoinette's experience highlights, there are many ways to discover if you're on the right path, like travel and working in other fields. In our next episode with Antoinette, we'll discuss how she left education and got to the top of the Australian entertainment industry. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production.